Take your Bibles now and open up to Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1, and I'm going to read to you beginning in verse 10. This is part 6 in our Revelation series, and we have made it all the way to verse 10. Now that means a bunch of different stuff. Either I teach real, real slow, which could be the, could be the case, but the jury's still out, or it could be that there's so much depth in God's word. There's just so much. This isn't a race. I, I sometimes feel like I should go through more of the scriptures, and I don't think that that's necessarily the goal. What we want is God's word to nurture us and to impact us and to change us. We want God's word to strengthen us and to heal us, to correct us, to rebuke us, to bless us. We want God's word to be a light that reflects off us into the world, like the sun when it shines onto the moon. It actually impacts the moon in a great way. And so let's let God's word be that light. I'm going to read it to you and then pray. So would you follow along, close your eyes, read with me, or whatever. Verse 10, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet, saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. And what you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches, which are in Asia, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamos, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. And then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the feet, girded about his chest with a golden band, and his head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire, and his feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice is the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp, two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun, shining in its strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. Write the things which you've seen and the things which are and the things that will take place after this. The mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands. Well, the seven stars are the angels or messengers or ministers of the seven churches. And the seven lampstands, which you saw, they are the seven churches. Father, we've read your word now, and we trust you to do through it what you will. We know, Lord, that through your word you can do what we cannot do. Through self-will, through meditation, through own effort. But your word is miraculous and powerful. And so in Jesus' name, we submit ourselves to it. May we, Lord, men and women alike, lean into the things of God, that you might show us who you are, that we might then remind ourselves who we are. Help us now, we pray, in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. You'll remember that John was on the island of Patmos for the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. He'd been burned alive in oil and didn't die and was banished there by himself to slowly wait for his death. Meanwhile, the church there in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, was without their pastor and was being brutalized by Domitian, the Roman emperor. Things were not good for John. Things were not good for the churches. Things were going very badly for them. And so what does Jesus do? He shows up to John and gives him the revelation 
of Jesus Christ. That is the revealing of who Jesus is, what Jesus is doing, listen, listen, and what Jesus is gonna do. That was what he told John in the midst of his situation. He didn't rescue John from Patmos. He didn't go to the church and clean everything up. Instead, he gave them a revelation and said, guys, don't forget what I'm doing. Your life's all upside down. There are difficulties amidst you, for sure. But I am still God. And when you see Jesus as he is rightly, you'll then adjust your life rightly. This happens, by, this happens, by the way, on the daily for me. I don't know about you, right? Like I don't get saved every day. I'm once saved, always saved. But every single day I look into God's word or I read a devotional or I go to a prayer meeting. I'm like, oh yeah, he's doing stuff. Whoops, got it twisted. You know, I freaked out for a second. I got weird. You go on Facebook and take that post down. You just post it, you know, because you lose your mind every once in a while. And this is why I love church. I love gathering because it reminds us. And this is why I love God's grace because he reminds us over and over and over. He doesn't actually get exhausted in reminding us. In order to illustrate his willingness to remind you over and over and over about what he's doing in his plan, he's given to some of us children. That's kind of funny. Some, some of us get to raise children and we get to see what God's character and God's heart is like when you tell your kid a billion times to shut the front door, you know what I'm saying? Or to stop that and your kid doesn't get it. Like, we forget God's patience for us. Now, here's where I want to take this sermon today, though. I want you guys to understand that the way you see Jesus will indeed determine the way you live your life and the way you die your death. See, your life's very important right now, very important because of who Jesus is. Not everybody knows who Jesus is. Some people have a wrong opinion about who Jesus is, and if you have a wrong opinion about who Jesus is, you're gonna live your life wrong. And it's, I don't know, like, you're gonna die your death wrong. And so John, there, turns, and what's he see? Jesus, and he writes it down. And then he tells the rest of us how we need to order our lives. Now, here's the big idea. I'm gonna say this, and you should write it down for a couple different reasons. Here's what you need to write down, though, is that the local church is the hope of the world, okay? The local church is the hope of the world. Right now, some of you are all hoping in, you know, economics or a, a recall or, or some sort of new election or, or something, something else, you know. So we need something. Something's got to change. This doctor's got to prescribe a new med or this. Listen, I'll tell you what the hope of the world is the local church. Because the local church knows Jesus, and the local church knows the program of God, and the local church knows where grace is, and the local church knows what to do next, and you guys, best guess what, are the local church. And so it's important that you find yourselves being blessed by being the local church. How many of you guys are excited to be saved today? You guys are excited to be saved? <laughs> yeah. Let me use an illustration that might help you out, though. What if I came to you later today, and I gave you the rights and the title to a gold mine? Like, you got this gold mine. You get it. It's yours. Everything in it's yours. Like you're so rich. You're so blessed. Here you go. And then I asked you a question a moment later. How much gold do you have? Uh, well, if you, technically, none. I got no gold. It's in the mine. I got to go get it. And as a believer, you become a Christian, you're donezo. You're a Christian forever. God saved you. He bled for your sins, and he's prepared a place for you. You are now a gold mine owner. You know what he says to us in the book of Philippians, though? He says, now work out your salvation with fear and trembling. He says, I want you to, you're the church though. You guys are gonna do stuff. I've saved you, it's once and done. You're so rich, you couldn't be richer. I don't feel that rich sometimes. Well, it's because you didn't go do anything. This is where the rubber meets the road. Jesus did what you cannot do. He lived perfectly and he died a sinful death and rose victoriously. You couldn't do that. And now he does ask you, though, to partner with him. You're the church? Cool. Now what do we do? And he tells us, he tells these seven churches, gives them all an adjustment and gives them a report card. 
And the same is true for John, and the same is true for you and for me. This is why we gather and remind ourselves that there's more to be done for Jesus while we're living here, and that's the whole purpose of why we gather. Now, here's the deal. I'm actually confident that God can do whatever he wants to do. Anybody, anybody confident? Like, I'm, I'm so confident. See, Jonah was confident also that God could do and would do what only God could do. That's why Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh. Jonah knew that if he went to Nineveh, God was going to save all those rebels. He knew that if he went to Nineveh, even if he was dragging his feet and preached a crummy sermon, which he did, even if he preached a crummy sermon, everybody would get saved. So you know what Jonah said? I'm not going to do it. I'm going to go over here and I'm going to learn how to swim. You know what I'm saying? Free swimming lessons with the whales. And he ran from God's plan. Let me just say this right now while you're still listening before you tune me out and go sermon mode on me. God's called each and every one of you, okay, to do something for him. He won't do it for you. He saved you. He already gave you the, the rights to the gold mine. He will not do what only you can do. And he has a way of giving you swimming lessons until you get with the program. He'll, he'll take you swimming. He'll throw you in the deep end. He'll provide for you in order to get your attention. This is where it gets exciting, though, because you wake up every day saying, Lord, I got a pulse under this beautiful beard. Now what do I do? He says, well, now you got a purpose for your life. This is what you're supposed to be about. The word church actually uh, is ekklesia in the Greek. It means called out and separated ones. God's called you out of this world and separated you from the ways of this world on purpose, not just to hibernate you and to keep you aside, us four, no more, bar the door, this holy huddle, Bible bubble, you know, big bad world. That's not the reason why we're set apart. We're set apart so that way we can be in this world, listen, but not of the world. So we can be an example. So you can be rubbing shoulders with non-Christians and non-believers and antagonists and people who don't love Jesus, and then you can love them in his name. Forgive them in his name. Tell them the truth in, in his name. Hold their hand and bring them closer to Jesus. This is the whole deal. This is actually modeled when Jesus came to planet Earth. He was born perfectly of a virgin and lived his life. And then the first thing he did once he became 30 years old, you know what he did after he was baptized and taken to the wilderness? He started calling people to himself. Come follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. I want you, 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 you. And he picked 12 dudes that shouldn't have been picked. And he picked them on purpose because Jesus wasn't just there to do all the work for us. He wants the church to get so inspired by who he is that we live our lives differently and therefore die differently and produce fruit along the way. That's the big idea. Now, here's how this all happens. Look at verse 10. Verse 10, John says, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. And I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet. Now, John's by himself on the island of Patmos. I don't know how he knew it was Sunday, the Lord's Day. I'm not sure how he knew. Maybe he was methodical and, and routine and religious in his worship days. Maybe he did have a calendar. I don't know. The bottom line is, though, when it came time to worship the Lord, you know what he decided to do? Worship the Lord. He was in the Spirit. What if he chose not to be in the Spirit that day? Have you ever skipped church before and you talk to your friends? It's like, it was the best service ever. You missed, it was life change service day. You missed it. You're like, no, you know. And John here goes to church and the Lord, can you imagine this day? You're just, all, you're by yourself. Dear Jesus, what? Ah, John, Jesus shows up by, uh, by John's self there on the island of Patmos. And here's my simple admonition to you guys. And it's, it's, there's so much to say that it actually can't be said in the time we have. That's why it's taking us so long. But, but how many, you don't, don't raise your hand, but how many of you guys like to hear from the Lord? Like you love to hear from the Lord in your heart and you, you love to, I, just, I love to hear from the Lord. Don't raise your hand this time either, but how many of you guys would say, I haven't heard from the Lord in a while? 
I get this all the time. I just don't hear the Lord speak to me. I'm like, where are you looking? They're like, Facebook. You know? Where, where, where was the last place you listened for the Lord? Netflix. I listened all day. He wasn't there. It's weird. You know? And, I, and I'm guilty of this. You know, I don't, I, don't, I don't have that rich, vibrant relationship with the Lord I used to have. Cool. What are you doing differently? Well, I haven't been reading my Bible. I haven't been going to church. I haven't been praying. I haven't been memorizing scripture. I haven't been witnessing. You haven't been doing any of that? And God's not talking to you? Well, who moved in the scenario? Did God move or did you move? And the honest truth, if you're honest, you're like, I did. I got weird. I got lazy. I got busy. All this stuff happens. I just want you to look at the biblical model here. John's by himself. If anybody could skip church and become a weirdo, it's John. Anybody having a hard day, a hard life, a hard issue, it's John. Okay, way harder than yours. And what's John do? He seeks the Lord. And what's Jesus do? He's right there with revelation. I could preach the same message every single Sunday. You, you, you would need to hear it, right? Amen. You would need to hear it because we forget. We get it twisted. I talked about this last week, and I want to give you guys a few more things to consider this week. That way you can walk more successfully with Jesus. And let me just remind you, when you begin to seek the Lord, he'll show up. I promise. I absolutely promise. If you don't seek him, I got no promises for you. There's no promises. The Bible says if you ask, you'll receive. If you seek, you'll find. If you knock, it'll be opened up. That's it. The Bible says if you need wisdom, ask it, you'll get it. The Bible says if you go into his throne room to obtain mercy, you'll get it. If you do those things, you'll get it. If you don't, I got nothing for you. There's no promises for you. And you might even become bitter and mad right now. By the way, do you remember when we were in Luke 24 a couple months ago? Might have been a couple years ago. I can't remember. And, and in Luke 24, there's the guys on the road to Emmaus. They're bummed out at Jesus. They're mad at him. Jesus had died, rose from the dead, and was walking around. And they were disappointed because they didn't know the whole story. So what are they talking about on the road to Emmaus? They're talking about Jesus. And what does Jesus do? He shows up in their midst. I'm telling you the honest truth. If you want more Jesus, even if you're mad at him, even if you're weird or bummed out, talk about him. Pray, seek him, and he will be there. If he's not there in your life right now, he's not in your marriage, and he's not in your life and not in your walk, I had to repent during this first service out in my office, like, Lord, there's areas in my life where I'm just lazy. I haven't been doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Lord, how, how foolish of me to waste my days and to put into jeopardy the leadership here at South Beach Church. Lord, there's so much, so much reason, so many reasons. Let me just give you quickly, write these things down. Here's the reasons why we don't seek the Lord early in the morning, why we don't memorize scripture, why we don't go to church, why we stop these things. The first one is we just become busy. We're crazy, right? You guys you ever done this before? Man, I used to read, but I just got so busy. I got busy, and you've heard it said, don't take this too far, but the acronym for busy is being under Satan's yoke, okay? That's here nor there, but it's an acronym. Somebody came up with it. should put some religious fear into you, but think about it. Being too busy will stop you from seeking the Lord. Okay, here's the solution. You ready? Deal with it. Okay, deal with it. Oh, you're busy? You better figure it out. Okay, because your most important relationships, if you're too busy for your most important relationships, they will suffer. Deal with it. Here's the second reason why we put things that are important off to the side. Uh, a season of life shows up. You ever had a season of life? Maybe you had a kid, maybe you got sick, maybe a relocation, maybe a broken arm. It's just like everything is thrown off in a weird season of life. Ask yourself, am I in a season of life right now where I just stop my devotionals, I stop praying, stop reading, stop attending, no life group because of a season, okay? That happens, okay? Here, here's the solution. Deal with it. It's not gonna get more complicated than that today, guys. Just in case you're writing notes. Here's another reason why people stop engaging with the Lord or seeking him or going to church. They get offended or hurt. Okay, I've, I've offended people un, unintentionally. Uh, I've, I've let people down. Maybe you've been let down by somebody else in a church before. Or maybe you were dating somebody and you broke up and now you can't go to church. There's offense, there's weirdness, okay? Something happens, now I don't seek the Lord anymore, okay? Here's the solution, you ready? 
It's coming at you. Deal with it. Deal with it. Just deal with it. Did you get hurt? Did you get offended? Okay. I should be a counselor. My therapist said to deal with it. I'm just kidding. I'm not a counselor. Deal with it. Okay, these other two are kind of synonymous, but I'll give them to you one at a time. Uh, reasons why we don't do things is we just get lazy. We get lazy. Uh, the next one I want to give you is sinful, which is a little different. But, but lazy, I think, happens maybe with busyness. There's actually a friend of mine who's, who's not here. He was here last week, and uh, I saw him in the store one time. He was uh, working, and I don't want to embarrass him, and so I won't tell you what he does for a living, but he does drive a brown truck and uh, make, make deliveries. And anyways, you can figure it out. So I saw him one day. This is like four years ago, and I saw him, and I was like, whoa, bro, how you been, man? Where are you going to church at? And I was kind of, you know, just probing. He's like, oh, we're not going anywhere. And part of me in my flesh was like, okay, with like, okay, at least you didn't choose another church over our church. I had to deal with that, you know. And then he goes, you know what? We're just lazy. Just straight up, we're just lazy. And I was like, you know what? I said, I appreciate that honesty. I said, I can totally honor that. I can work with that. And so can God. If you gave me some other roundabout excuse that made no sense, he's like, we're just lazy. And since then, he and his family have been coming regularly. I can honestly make fun of him face to face because he's here most of the time. And so I, I thank God for his honesty, though. Maybe it's just laziness, just straight up laziness. And the last one is sinfulness. Okay. It's been said before that this book will keep you from sin and sin will keep you from this book. And if you've dabbled in sin before, you've got a secret little deal going on. One of the first things to go is fellowship, okay, spirituality, worship. And your sin might not be as bad as my sin, so you compare yourself to me or somebody else. You're like, well, I'm not doing this. My sin's not that bad. You ever, you ever played that game before? <laughs> oh, no, don't play that game. Don't play that game. It's not as bad as it could be. Duh. You could always go crazier. But when you get sinful, you're just not going to go to church. It's just the bottom line. Here's the solution. Ready? Deal with it. Pastor Al Garner, he was at church at the first service. He's uh, been a pastor at Lake Havasu Calvary Chapel. We were uh, in ministry together in Ashland. He was an elder there, and he lives in Walport here, and he's 300 years old. Anyways, um, he's not that old. But he had, had a Bible back when we were in ministry together. It had a leather cover like this, and he had engraved on the cover of it, get over it, okay? <laughs> and he'd been through life. He'd made some mistakes, and, you know, he used to help people along. He was leading the singles group at the time. He's an older man now. Him and his wife, Julie, live in Walport, and they just moved here. And, and I just, get over it. You just got to get over it. You got to figure it out, man. What is it? What's going on in your walk with Jesus? Because if your walk with Jesus is cattywampus, okay, if, it, if it's lackadaisical, everything else is going to hurt after that. So you need to deal with it. I'm just saying, look what John did. What's John doing? He's had a bad day. He's got a bummer rat. What's he doing? He's, he's going to the church and Jesus shows up. Okay, I gave you this last week. I don't have time to teach it again. Here's the three ways to go to church. Write this down. Consider it with your life group. Number one, go consistently. Number two, go expectantly. And number three, go obediently. If you show up to your morning devotionals consistently and expect the Lord to speak to you and then obediently respond, <laughs> you can be magic. It's going to be powerful. But if you show up every other Thursday and read the Bible in a little verse and, and you try and get close to the Lord and you don't really respond with expectancy or obediency, I'm just being honest with you. It's the same with anything. Imagine if you ate broccoli the first of every month. Yeah, I eat the vegetables on the first of every month. It's crazy. What do you eat after that? Whatever I want. You think that's going to help you? That doesn't help you with anything. It's got to be consistent. Okay, you guys get the point. Hopefully you're taking notes, figuring this out, and being encouraged. You only get to live one life, and we want to do it right, that we would be the church that has the rights to the gold mine 
and is living effectively. Let's look at what Jesus revealed himself to John as. Look at verse 11. He said, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. And what you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamos, to Thyatira, to Sardis, and to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Stop right there, eyes up here. Apparently, John's praying on the Lord's Day in the Spirit, and he hears these red letters, okay? They weren't red in his his hearing, but they're red because it's Jesus. And he's like, what? And he gives them instruction. Write down what you see. Write down, I'm going to give you a vision, then give it to these seven churches. Now, if you know anything about these seven churches, they each have an issue. One's a compromising church. One's a dead church. One's a, a, a lukewarm church. One is known as a faithful church. One's a persecuted church. One's a loveless church. One's lukewarm, if I already didn't say that. They all got little issues. And here's my point, is that Jesus loved them, no matter what their situation was. One of them gets the title as the dead church. Can you imagine that? You're getting your report card from Jesus. He comes to your church for a week and he hangs out and he's like, here's what's going on. You're dead. <laughs> You're like, oh no, that's not good. And yet he has a, a word for them. He has a word for the loveless church, the Ephesus church. He says, guys, you're killing it. That's what he says. This is the ne- we're studying this next week. He says, you're killing it. You hate evil. You love good. Your, your hoodies are always stocked. Man, you guys are doing great. Your drum cage was on point. So cool. Your coffee, oh, so good. And then he goes on, though, to say, but you guys, it seems like you're doing it for each other. You don't love me anymore. It's not the same. You used to love me more. So here's what I want you to do. Return to your first love. Keep the drum cage. Keep the coffee. Keep the hoodies. You're doing great. But make sure that that love is, prepared, is cared for. And he gives them all an encouragement. And then he tells John to write these things down so they might see it and live their lives better. I'm so excited for the rest of the Revelation series as we get through these first three chapters. Notice, though, that John hears from Jesus. And look at what he does, verse 12. Then I turned to see the voice. Now, I don't know how this really looked. Was John on his knees? That's how I imagine being in the spirit. You know, was he sitting down on a rock? I don't know what it was like. All I know is while John was praying, he heard a voice and he had to turn. Why? Why didn't Jesus show up in front of him? Why didn't he just look up? Why did he hear this voice and have to turn? Because usually when the Lord speaks to your heart, there's some sort of reaction that's required, some sort of energy, some sort of movement. <laughs> See, here's the problem. Sometimes I just want the Lord to speak to me through his word and rub my shoulders and tickle my ears and make me laugh. And the Lord says, Luke, you're not three anymore, bro. You know, like, you're not a little kid. Like, Lord, tickle me, tickle me, and I, you know. And the Lord says, dude, we're going places, son. We're doing stuff. And when the Lord speaks to you, don't be surprised if you got to turn around, if you got to move a little bit. See, we're the American church. We're super soft. We just want someone to tell us we're doing all right, that we're doing okay, we're not doing anything wrong, that we're good to go, that actually we're the model. Don't we want to be the model? We're the best. And instead... There's got to be an adjustment. Verse 12, I turned to see the voice that spoke with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man. Stop right there, eyes up here. I need you guys to really listen now. John turns and he says he sees seven lampstands. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, which means there's seven lampstands and one standing in the midst, these would be large menorahs, if you would, large candles, not a small lampstand. This would be a big deal. In, in Jewish uh, theology then, the way that the, the Holy of Holies was lit up. And there was a, one clothed like the Son of Man standing there. Now, here's how I view this. I read Revelation chapter 1 literally. 
That is, I believe when he turned, he saw seven lampstands, and he saw one standing there with a robe down to the feet, a golden sash, his head was white like wool, his hair was white like wool, his eyes were on fire, and there was indeed a sword coming out of his mouth, and his voice was like the sound of many waters. That's how I read it. Now, I don't share that with everybody. Some people read this and say, well, that's not really what he saw. He saw something, and it was so glorious that he had to use English, not English, but he had to use language in order to convey a spiritual vision. You guys probably agree with me that what he saw was so magnanimous and magnificent that it was difficult to put into normal words. That when we see heaven, there's going to be nothing like it to explain, oh man, it was was like the sun shining in its strength. Now I can agree with that too. What he saw was so miraculous and so powerful, he did his best to compile it into language. Another very important, I believe, application. What John also saw is to be interpreted based on the Old Testament. When he saw white hair and a white head, Old Testament readers would be like, that reminds me of Isaiah, that God has dealt with our sins that were scarlet but are now white as wool. That would speak to them. When they saw his eyes of fire, they'd be like, whoa, the Bible says that God actually looks upon our works and will one day burn them up and purify them. That's what he's gonna do. When the Bible describes this man standing there in this priestly garment, oh, he's the high priest. All of this would also be symbolic. So you're gonna have to go ahead and today and throughout the study decide, which was this? Is this literal? Is this figurative? Is this symbolic? Or is it a combination of all those? As long as we're using, listen, the Bible to interpret the Bible, Okay, we're going to stay safe. Let's talk about what he saw with those particular lenses on. You guys all with me still? You guys with me? Okay. Don't you take a break? A little break? No break. Okay. We don't take breaks. What are you talking about? What are you talking about? This isn't homeschool. Anyways, look at verse 12. Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man. First two observations are this. When John turns to see the voice coming from him, you know where the voice is? It's in the lampstands. What are the lampstands? It's the church. Where's Jesus hanging out? Church. What's John see? Where does John receive the word? Church. Okay. I don't have a time. I could, I could go weeks and weeks talking about the importance of the church. Hopefully you guys understand this already. The church is where Jesus hangs out. The church is where Jesus changes lives. Some people say, well, the ocean's my church. The forest is my church. You know, wilderness is my church, which I'm totally into that, okay? God's in the wilderness, he's in the forest, he's in the ocean, he's everywhere. The problem with going there primarily to seek your communication with God is that when your life falls apart and you need someone to bring you a meal, that tree ain't bringing you a meal. You need to call somebody, you know, I'm gonna call the woods. (laughs) The woods ain't answering. You need the church. Jesus is here with one another. And he, his spirit actually lives inside of you. And when I need the wisdom of God, I get it from the word of God, but I also get it from the people of God. See, we're in this together. And I just love the fact, and I could go on and on, but I'm just going to say it and move on. Jesus is in the church, and I hope you realize that, because this is where that life change happens, here in this building, but also not in this building, but with one another. You can't do this alone. Find a life group. Find a good friend to do life with in Jesus' name. He looks for the voice, and he sees lampstands, which, by the way, what's a lampstand do, essentially? It gives light. They're golden lampstands. They're pure golden lampstands. That's a pretty big deal. How does God look at the church? As light-giving pureness. I just got to say this. How does the devil look at the church? It's a playground, okay? With targets everywhere. And the devil wants to take every single one of you out through compromise, through weirdness, 
smallness. I don't want to say especially me, but he wants to take me out too. And it grieves my heart when I see pastors fall, when I see things get, get weird, churches go belly up. Okay, the church is supposed to be, in this vision, a pure golden candlestick. That's the goal. That's why tomorrow, me and two or 300 other pastors are gathering together to cry out to the Lord for two and a half days. We take this seriously. This is a battle. And even you, wouldn't it be fun if you guys cheered us on, your, your, your pastoral team? Go, go team, go. That's cool. You're the church too. Everything you do, everything we do out in the world. And when John sees this, he's like, write the churches, man. Some of them are doing a great job. They need a gold star. Others need to tighten things up. And I could be in both camps on any given day. If you're the church here, settle into it. God made you a golden lampstand. Jesus, though, is right in the midst of them. Look at verse 13. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, which you can underline that, look it up later, that was Jesus' favorite title for himself, the Son of Man, to link himself to the prophesied Messiah out of the book of Daniel. Check it out later on your own time. Jesus is indeed God. Verse 13, he was clothed with a garment down to the feet and girded about the chest with a golden band. The high priest in those days would wear long garments. Jesus here showing himself to be the high priest. This golden band speaks of purity right across his heart, his intention for all of us. Look at verse 14, his head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow and his eyes like a flame of fire. I like this, that his head and hair were white as snow. And that would remind us that what Jesus has done for us is he's cleansed us perfectly from all of our inadequacies, failures, and rebellions. And each one of us in here has so much sin in our lives. I like how his hair is pure and his head. Let's just talk about your head real quick. Inside your head is that thing called the brain, right? You guys got a good brain still? How many of you guys had some impure thoughts over the weekend? Raise your hand. Okay. How many of you guys just lied to me? Raise your hand. It's a setup question. All y'all had impure thoughts, man. We get, our brains are crazy all day long. Like, where'd that thought come from? Oh no, you know. And here Jesus is like, just so you know, I got you covered. I got you covered. My head is white like wool. Everything about me I've given to you. Even in your imperfections and your impurities, you look to me, son. Look to me in all of your battles. I like the fact that his hair is white. Some of y'all got some pretty good white hair this morning. You know what I'm saying? His hair is white as snow. Do you know your hair is crazy? It's, it's fascinating. Uh, recently we found some coupons on Groupon.com and uh, there's a place somewhere in the other part of the country where you can take your hair, take four pieces of hair, small little ones, and put them in a Ziploc bag and you send it to this company and they'll take that hair and they'll put it through their scanners and they'll test it and they'll be able to tell you every single thing about your homeopathy and what's going on in your life, what you're allergic to, what you're sensitive to, your gut health, all the things just from four strands of hair. They can tell your DNA, what's been going on, they can tell all your history, all from four strands of hair. And so what I get from that is that here Jesus says, man, pure as snow, everything about you, all of your mistakes, all your inadequacies, all your sensitivities, everything that's wrong is taken care of. He goes on to say that his eyes were like flames of fire. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 that Christians, at the end of your life, everything you've ever done will be burned with fire. Judgment. It's called the Bema Seat. It's actually an award ceremony. Not your sins. Your sins, if you're a Christian, have already been taken care of. You will not face judgment because of your sins on this world. Why? Because Jesus Christ already died for you. And you put your faith in him. And he took away the rebellious punishment from you and endured it. So now what you await on judgment day is not that for your sins, but instead, all of your efforts afterwards will one day be burned up 
and everything you did right and with a good heart and with the right spirit will remain. Precious stones and gems. This is an encouraging word, by the way. Don't raise your hand. I'll raise it for you. How many of you guys have wasted a few days after becoming a gold mine owner? Wasted a few days after giving your life to Jesus. Darn it. Okay, well, all that's going to be gone. Jesus is going to judge that. You don't need to raise your hand again, but how many of you guys have done a good thing or two? And Jesus changed your life. He changed your heart. You're, you're, you're doing your best. I'm doing my best. And you got life ahead of you. You got more days to store up treasure that will be refined. When you see these eyes of fire, you should consider that. Look at verse 15. His feet were like fine brass. This speaks of refinement and purification as though refined in a furnace. And his voice is the sound of many waters. When I hear that word, many waters, I think of waterfalls. Like many, lots of waters. <laughs> powerful. You ever been to a waterfall before? To the ocean when it's 10-foot swells? It's like, <laughs> water is powerful. And his voice is like the sound of many waters. I think that's true. Another way to interpret it, though, would be all the different forms and functions of water. You see, water's not just powerful and loud and intense, although it is. Water's also very soothing. It's life-giving. It's cleansing. It's nourishing. You ever had a nice, hot, warm bath? Oh, nothing better. Water. The you ever had a couple hours without a glass of water? You ever been dehydrated before? Did you know that when you're dehydrated, when you're not pop properly hydrated, your brain starts to shrink, and you start to lose words and motor functions, and your internal organs start to not work as great as they're supposed to, all just from a little bit of water? And he says that his voice is the sound of many waters. It's so true. God's so good. He just wants to bless us, and he wants to take care of us, cleanse us, to encourage us, to show his strength through his word. Look at verse 16. And he had in his right hand seven stars. Stop right there, eyes up here. I just need to throw this out there. When I first read this, and actually throughout the last couple of weeks, I thought one thing. I just read something new last night. When it says that he has the seven stars, and then he goes on to explain, those are the seven angels of the seven churches. Most commentators believe that each church has an angel assigned to it. Everyone okay with that? Okay with that? I'm fine with that. I like that. I kind of want a couple angels, though. We'll take a couple of them. I believe in angels. I believe in spiritual warfare. I believe all that stuff's going on because the Bible teaches it to us. In the Greek, though, this word angelos is also translated messenger or witness. And so in his right hand are the seven messengers to the seven churches. Some commentators believe, and I'm also one of them on the fence, believes that the letter wasn't given to the, to the angels of the church, but instead to the pastors of the church. Here's your report card. You're the messenger. You're the angelos. You're the one who's supposed to be ministering. You're in charge here. You better tighten things up. I also believe that there's application in that. Here's the best part of it all, though. Whether the stars are angels or pastors, guess where they're at? They're in Jesus' right hand. He doesn't throw them. He doesn't throw them. You know? My imagination says he throws the stars. They're throwing stars, right? No, no. He has them in his hand. You've got to read the Bible slow. <laughs> he has them in his hand. And he has me in his hand. And I just want to be useful and I want to be a good messenger in his hand. He goes on in verse 16. Out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword and his countenance was like the sun in its strength. Out of his mouth goes a sharp two-edged sword. You guys know that the Bible speaks of itself as a sword. There's actually two words in the Greek for sword. One speaks of a large warrior sword, a two-handled sword, and the Bible's often used to uh, illustrate that. There's another word for sword, which is a smaller, more precise dagger. And I don't know about you, but has the Word of God impacted your life in both ways, where it's been like a heavy war sword where it just gets your attention and does what needs to be done? And there's other days where it's like a letter opener, where it just fine-tunes the areas of your life that are out of order. Either way, God's Word will cut you. Okay, 
in the book of Acts, there's a couple portions of scripture. One where the Pharisees are cut to the heart and they kill Stephen. They don't like it. They didn't like it. He preached the word and they killed him. There's another portion of scripture, Acts chapter 4, Acts chapter 3, where Peter preaches and the Bible says they're cut to the heart and they ask, what must we do to be saved? See, the word of God's going to cut you one way or the other. Your response, though, is up to you. Will you lash out or will you look for repentance? The word of God. A couple more verses and we're done, guys. The Bible says in verse 16 that his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. Now, just read this a couple times. I've been reading this over and over and over. It's getting better and better every time I read it. John's like, and he, like, he gives this whole framework of Jesus. He's like, oh, yeah, and his countenance was like the sun in its strength. How many of you guys think the sun's a big deal? Okay, the sun's the only reason in our whole atmosphere why there's life. Okay, it's the only, without the sun, there is no life at all. And he says, oh, yeah, Jesus is just like the sun, shining its strength. Without the sun, there's no life. Everything dies without the sun, okay? Every single planet in the entire known universe has no life on it because they don't have the same geography and the same distance to the sun and all of the other aspects that were given. But that sun, let me talk about the countenance and the power of the sun just briefly, and then we'll move on. Did you know that the sun produces energy every single day? Like, it's just, it's burning carbon right now, and one day when the carbon runs out, it will expand to a large degree, and it'll burn the helium that remains within the uh, sun, and then after that's done, it will actually collapse upon itself and become a dwarf star. But right now, it's doing its job just fine. I'm super thankful for the sun. Can I get an amen? The sun, okay. It's powerful. Did you know that it produces the same amount of power in one second? Just one, every, every second of every day, the sun is producing the same amount of power that the entire planet, humans, will produce in all of 2019, all the energy plants, all the lumens, all the bulbs, everything, all of it for one whole year times a million. Okay, everything we do, all the gas, all the combustion, all the bombs, everything we do for one whole year is what the sun does in one second. Okay, the sun's a big deal. Here's a couple other facts about the sun. Did you know that the sun, this is crazy, the sun is the only, it is the most spherical part of nature that we have ever observed or evidenced. There's nothing in all of nature more round than the sun. It's perfect, okay? No stone, no bird's egg, no whatever else is round, nobody's head, you know, in here. The, the sun is symmetrical, the most perfect thing in all of the universe that we've been able to discover is, is the sun. Did you know that also the sun, scientists say that as it continues to expand, right now it's getting bigger and bigger and bigger. I told this to my kids this morning while they were eating cereal. And I said that if it continues the way it is, eventually the sun will consume the entire earth. So you got to pray for my kids because they didn't finish their cereal. They got scared. You know, they're like, what's this going to happen, Dad? You know, it's like, not for a while. It's going to continue, which is crazy because the Bible actually says that one day the heavens and earth will be burned up. Okay, by the way, in order for that to happen, it's billions of years at the same rate that the sun is burning right now, and then it will shrink back down. Here's another fact about the sun. Uh, did you know that the sun is visible on the Oregon coast for no more than 10 days per year? <laughs> and we call this summer. <laughs> so not all those facts can be uh, fact-checked necessarily. I he calls Jesus the sun. The sun's a big deal. I got sunburned yesterday. I'm thankful for that sun, bro. I'm gonna get sunburned all week long in Corvallis. I'm excited about it. Look at what happens in verse 17. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. I have the keys of Hades and death. Now, in verse 18 and verse 17, Jesus reiterates something that we've already learned. He's the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. He, he's already told us this. Did you know he's going to tell us this again and again? And he's going to remind us again? Kind of like you who have had kids, you have to remind them of the important things. 
we too are God's kids, and he needs to remind us. God knows what he's doing. Why are you afraid? Why are you afraid? And this is such a good word for somebody here today. You don't need to fear. You don't need to fear your past. You don't need to fear the future. You don't need to fear right now. You don't need to. Why would you be afraid? Whoa! Has the Lord got the keys of Hades and death in his hand? Well, yeah, but I got a big bill. <laughs> what? <laughs> you do? Yeah, how big is it? I don't, it's pretty big. You don't freak out. You don't need to be afraid. You got to pay that bill, but you don't need to be afraid. Fear's a liar. Fear will mess with you. You don't need to be afraid. God's got you. Look what he said in verse 19. Write the things which you've seen. That's what he just did. You just saw me? Write it down. People need to know that I'm too legit to quit. I'm a big deal. I got a plan. Stop panicking. Write this down, John. And then he goes on to say, and write down the things that are. That's the church in front of us. And the things that will take place after this, that's the future. He reminds him in verse 20, the mystery of the seven stars, which you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands. Well, the seven stars, they're the angels, ministers. And the seven lampstands, which you saw, well, they're the seven churches. I'm going to have Pastor Ryan come up and lead us in a communion song. We're going to do what we do now at the end of every service. We're going to thank Jesus for being so in control of our lives that he went to the cross and died for your sins and for my sins, and he didn't stay dead. He rose from the dead. And that allows you and me then to live our lives differently. Today, you can come to the table and say, Lord, I've not been doing it right. I've actually been lazy. I've been sinful. I got hurt. I've been offended. I've been busy. I've been doing all these things. I haven't been reading, haven't been praying, haven't been witnessing. I've been taking this seriously. I'm so glad you guys are here at church today. Good job. It's the middle of summer. It's so easy to miss church. It's so easy to do other things. And you've got freedom in Christ, okay? Tons of grace. But when John listened to the Lord and he looked where Jesus was, he's there at church. He's there at church hanging out. He's got a word. So I'm going to ask you guys to bow your heads and close your eyes. And we're going to take communion and thank Jesus for his faithfulness to us. We're not here to boast. We're not here to say we're good. We're here to say he's good. Father, in Jesus' name, as we come to the table now, we remind ourselves of your goodness. And we take it again into ourselves. Your body and your blood was poured out. It was broken so we could live our lives free, free from fear, free from guilt, free from shame. The debt has been paid in full. We are now gold mine owners. You've asked us to get after it. And so Holy Spirit, as we remind ourselves that it's done, it's finished, may we be equipped, Lord, to be the church. Forgive us of our sin. And before we take communion, I wanna give you an opportunity. Maybe you're here this morning and you would say, you know what I, I need, Luke, the most? I just I just need to touch, I need, I, just need to, I need a touch of God's love. My heart has been hardened. I've become busy. I've become jaded, calloused. Maybe, you, maybe you're battling a secret sin here. You just, you allowed stuff, compromise. And you, you just need the Lord to touch you, to touch you with his love. That's what you need. You need love because love compels us. Love covers a multitude of sins. Love never fails. And when you see Jesus in his love for you, you'll live your life differently, not in a religious way, but in a relationship way, a responsive way, where you know his love for you. If you're here today and you just need a, a touch of his love, would you raise up your hand right now? Just say, I just need the love of God. I know he loves me, but I just need the touch. I just need to be reminded. I need to be, Lord, did you see your, your children raising their hands right now? This should be everybody, by the way. Raise up your hands right now. You just need a touch of God's love to soften your heart to make you the church, to make you receptive again to his voice. Maybe you haven't heard the Lord's voice in a very long time. You heard it oh, in 1982. 
You heard it a long time ago. And you know, you know what it sounded like, man, it was legit. And you, you got on your path, but you don't hear it often. Raise up your hand right now and say, I need that. I want that. Lord, forgive me. Maybe you need help just getting away from all the busyness and the stupid distractions. Maybe it's not a bunch of carnality and crazy stuff. It's just normal, weird, unprofitable things. Raise up your hand if you just need the Lord to touch you and remind you, Lord, my hand is up. Would you do that for me, Jesus? In your name, would you do that? Bless us, Lord. Remind us of your love. You can put your hands down. As we come to the table, his love is displayed in the body and the blood. Father, we do this now remembering your son, proclaiming his death until he returns. Would you honor this time in Jesus' name? Amen.